Hi there, I'm Neve Shaw, and this is Humans of Space, a podcast about curious people. More specifically, it's chats with people that I've met along the journey so far in getting to space. People from many parts of the world, people who've inspired me, people who do interesting things, know interesting stuff, have figured out great things, or people who want to change the world. Curious people who are happy to chat with me about their lives, their passions, and explore together what drives us to be the people we need to be. I like to think that Humans of Space is a blend of space, science, curiosity, and creativity for ears of all kinds. But I guess that's up to you to decide. It's hard for me to explain how I know Josh Richards. He's been a contact that I met very early on when I began my own quest to get to space. We first communicated on St. Patrick's Day in 2014 and uh, he was a mine of information and shared lots of contacts and lots of advice. And he really helped me in those first few years of establishing myself in the space community. He is a writer and a communicator really, a really good communicator of science, but a comedian and with a really sharp, dark sense of humour. And he's probably best known by everybody else as one of the 100 candidates still um, in the running to be a part of the Dutch private organisation Mars One to establish a human settlement on Mars. I think he's more than that. I'm looking forward to talking with him today with you. And he has his new book, Cosmic Nomad, out about his experiences so far about being uh, one of the Mars One finalists and what do you do when you just have 10 years left on Earth before you head off. Hello, Josh. How are you? I'm good, Dave. Thanks for having me. So where are you talking to us from? I am calling you from sunny Australia at the moment. Uh, We're down here south of Geelong. Uh, I shouldn't say sunny, actually. It's pretty cold, but uh, yeah, (laughs) south of Geelong, just south of Melbourne. So, Josh, I was doing an intro for you there and I was really struggling. I don't know how to describe you. How do you describe yourself? Tell me in a nutshell, how would you describe yourself? Professional idiot uh, is usually the... <laughs> <laughs> or, or someone with career ADD comes up quite often as well. I suppose these days I probably call myself an author first and foremost because that's what I like doing, writing books. Prior to that, I originally studied applied physics, uh, looked at becoming an astronomer, I went and joined the Australian Army as a combat engineer and did a little bit of work with our Navy as a diver um, and then eventually moved across to the Royal Marine Commandos in the UK. Left the military, did a little bit of work as a blasting uh, specialist working in the mining industry using explosives. That was kind of my area of expertise with the military as well. And then uh, somehow found work for with Damien Hurst, the British artist in the UK. Started off as explosives work with him initially as well and then moved into breeding butterflies and somewhere in amongst that I started doing stand-up comedy as well. So yeah, a bit of a mixed bag. (laughs) (laughs) And then we have our space connection, which we'll get into in a second. You've just published your second book, Cosmic Nomad. So how has the last week or so been? Because it just, it just launched on the 17th of September, didn't it? Yeah, it's been manic. I've been working as a stand-up comic for quite a number of years. Um, I just finished the Edinburgh Fringe for the fourth year running and I was sort of sitting down to write another book. And during the Fringe, I'd been chatting to an improviser friend of mine about how uh, I wanted to do a comedy show about leaving comedy. I sort of wanted to get out of it. And I was going to use the metaphor of going one way to Mars for it. Uh, I'd read a paper by Professor Paul Davies 
while I was doing my physics degree saying if we were going to send people to Mars, it, they kind of needed to do it one way. And I was going to use this as a metaphor for me leaving stand-up and chatted through with Cameron about it during the uh, the Fringe and Fringe came to a close. I sat down and went, right, I'm going to start sort of doing this show. I'm going to start working on this show. I found Mars One in the process and decided to actually go for it and do the whole one way to Mars thing for real rather than just as a metaphor. Yeah, it's wound up eight-year culmination with me writing this second book about Mars. Cosmic Nomad is my personal experience with the entire in dire endeavour so far. And so for people who don't know what Mars One is, in a nutshell, what would you say the initiative is? Basically an international not-for-profit that's based in the Netherlands uh, with the stated goal of establishing a permanent human presence on Mars. That's that's their mission statement. That's pretty much it. The thing that makes them, I suppose, a little controversial is that in order for them to do that, they're not actually planning any return mission. So everything that Mars One is planning is to send people, equipment, everything to Mars and for there to be no return rockets, no one's coming back, uh, it's there to set up a permanent presence. And so where is it at now? Mars One sort of hit fever pitch in 2015. I was selected out of about 200,000 people uh, to be one of the 100 shortlisted globally and there was a lot of news, a lot of press about Mars One at the time and we were all very excited, all the 100 candidates were very, very excited 2016, we started to see um, some of the funding that Mars One thought they had secured uh, wasn't quite as secure as they thought it was. They've tried a few different things through the years. Unfortunately, things have not sort of necessarily gone Mars One's way. It's always about money and Corona has certainly not made that any easier. We'll get back to Mars One in a while. It's just good to define it. I'm always really interested in what motivates people you're a very interesting person and you're somebody that I met very early on in my own quest to address my desire to be a part of space very early on. And I contacted you under some blind attempt to just reach out to everybody involved in the space sector. And you replied and Story Musgrave, who is an That's astronaut. extraordinary. Yeah. And he wrote in kind of font 75 in purple in his email. He was like, wow, you're an artist too. And uh, I never actually got to speak to him. But you and I did. We actually got to speak. You introduced me to so many people who still champion me to this day. And you certainly helped me a lot in the early days. We seem to have an awful lot in common. You seem to have that creative mind and that logical mind and this desire to explain information to people. Do you still love doing that? Where did that come from? It's been interesting and reading your story uh, through Dream Big was interesting to see all those parallels because uh, there is a lot of common ground. What was also interesting for me was actually to find the stuff that you and I don't have in common. There was a few things in there I sort of went, oh no, this is actually what differs with Neve and I. Uh, you are a true science communicator. I am an idiot that moved from stand-up comedy uh, into space science. <laughs> I love being able to share the idea of people being a bit more adventurous, being curious, going out, exploring, learning and discovering more about the universe. I think the key difference is I don't actually like people that much, which is why I've signed up for a one-way mission to Mars. <laughs> yeah, your sense of humour is a lot darker than mine. While I know you actively enjoy an audience and you enjoy engaging with people, I often see it as a responsibility rather than something I actually want to do. 
it's been a big factor in my transition, I suppose, as an artist. I initially started writing mainly for mental health reasons. Like while I was working in the mining industry, I was having quite a few challenges and I started sort of writing under a pseudonym uh, to sort of write comedy, these articles online that weren't me but a way of sort of venting and that's where I sort of started to develop a bit of an artistic sort of bend and turned those ideas into stand-up comedy it felt like it was the natural way to express things. I've come full circle back to writing because don't actually like audiences that much. A lot of comedians talk about coming off stage and having that rush. They've entertained a crowd and everyone's had a great time and it was because of what they did. I've almost entirely come off stage every single time, whether it's stand-up, science communication, corporate, whatever. Um, I'm exhausted. I have learnt over the years that I'm actually an introvert, Um, not something I thought I would ever say. (laughs) That level of introversion um, means that I can focus and do what I want to do and can see things in funny ways, but it's much better suited to writing than it is to standing on a stage. What are you trying to figure out, Josh? I guess it all comes back to self-reflection for me, Uh, and that's gone through quite a few different transitions as well. So I suppose the the first comedy show that I ever wrote for Edinburgh Fringe uh, was called Apocalypse Meow, and it was very dark. The sort of tagline for it was the science and religion of doomsday. That was pretty much how I pitched it. But that was really just a carrier for me to talk about a breakup. I moved back to the UK after I'd left the Royal Marines. I had to come back to Australia for a little while, uh, sort out a visa and head back. And I was moving back essentially for um, the girlfriend that I'd had when I was over there serving with the military. Terrible relationship, just awful, and I was very lost. I'd moved back to the UK and didn't know what to do with myself, so I kind of threw myself into stand-up. And Apocalypse Meow, the underlying thread that came underneath it was the word apocalypse is ancient Greek for the lifting of a veil. And so it's actually about the unveiling of a larger truth rather than sort of the destruction of everything that you know. And I was trying to sort of convey that through a stand-up show by saying, you know, it can feel like the world's imploding around you, everything's going horribly wrong, and actually what's happening is that you're being disillusioned. You're, You're having all the illusions that you have being removed, and that's an awful and unpleasant experience, but, you know, you're better for it in the process. And stand up has kind of been like that for me in many ways. The show that followed that was basically a me dressing up as a giant koala and screaming at people for t- about 45 minutes while playing ukulele. And people loved it and thought it was hilarious. Keith, the anger management koala, uh, did really well. But it was a mask for me to talk about some of the trauma that had happened, particularly during the, the commandos, um, some of the things that had happened. And it wasn't me sharing those stories. It was Keith, the koala, sharing those stories. I've always used stand-up and writing and all those different forms of art to try and understand myself. And a lot of that came initially from trauma. As the years have moved on, I've started to sort of use writing and comedy and all those different artistic pursuits as a way of kind of figuring myself out and in the process learning cool things about the universe as well. It's always had that science bend at the same time to sort of go, let's go exploring Let's learn new things. This is really cool. I want to learn this cool thing and share it with other people while learning about myself in the process. 
It's a common thread in art. Oftentimes you start something and you haven't a clue why you want to make this. It's the artist in you, definitely. The other really interesting thing I find about you is the amount of different skills that you've picked up along the way. You constantly put yourself in positions of danger with the commandos. You know, you've done a lot of cave diving with scuba. Then there's space and they're all about living in the extremes and surviving and understanding how to survive in in extreme circumstances. What's the thread, do you think, between scuba, space and commandos and and also probably the mining as well? I suppose I have always had an interesting relationship with death. There's very few times where I've been scared of my own mortality. Um, I've had far too many close calls uh, through the years. People talk about freeze, fight and flight. I have a tendency to run towards when I've seen folks involved in car accidents, there seems to be a switch that clicks and I charge into it. There's a deep-seated desire to help. I think I was reading something on Wikipedia the other day about Atlas Syndrome. I don't know if that's what it is, but um, that idea of having a lot of responsibility from a young age, feeling like you need to step up and do things that will help situations. I suppose the cave diving, the commandos, the mining industry and space, obviously, it's very much a focus that this is what we're trying to do. If I don't make it through in the process, then that's not a huge deal. I'll never call myself a Buddhist, but I've certainly read a lot about Buddhism and love and studied a lot of the precepts and the idea that I am not the most important thing around, the idea that it's actually not about me. That seems to be a very common thread, especially through the military, especially all the stuff related to Mars One. It's not about me. It's about doing something that will help a lot of other people, that will make life better for other human beings or other life in the universe. If I do something while trying to act in the highest and best interests of others and I don't survive that experience, then that's just the end of my story. The biggest thing that's ever scared me was when I thought I wouldn't be able to help keep other people alive. To me, that's always been far scarier than the end of my own life. Where does space fit in it all, Josh? Is it the philosophy side of it or is it the adventure side of it? What is it about space that fascinates you? Space was very much a childhood thing. Uh, So it started off, you know, being seven years old and and seeing Andy Thomas being selected as Australia's first professional astronaut and sort of seeing that on the six o'clock news and saying to my mum and dad, that's what I want to do. It's very much evolved over the last few years. Uh, And I came to the idea of writing that comedy show really out of frustration. We as a species weren't more adventurous, uh, that we had gone to the moon in the late 60s, early 70s, uh, and then no one had been past low Earth orbit since 1972, since uh, Apollo 17 came back. No one's been past 680 kilometres, and that was to repair the Hubble Space Telescope. The idea that, you know, we haven't, a huge universe out there to go and explore, but we want to stay here and stay safe. Um, and we're afraid of death. We're afraid of what we might find out there that our personal ego, our personal you know, identity might disappear because we ventured too far. I was immensely frustrated by that, um, especially in my early 20s. After having seen some of the stuff that I'd seen um, and seen people die from things that were meaningless, were just utterly, utterly ridiculous. 
um, without any meaning whatsoever, the idea that we would be scared of dying for something that would expand our knowledge of the universe, it really made me angry. How did you figure that out? Where did that thread of understanding or, or that thread of thought begin? Stand-up had a big role to play in that. I embrace the ridiculous myself on a regular basis um, and a lot of my comedy is quite absurdist. A lot of the stand-up that I saw in Edinburgh um, and a lot of the sketch comedy and things like that, I didn't see an, even an attempt to look for meaning, for people to discover more about themselves. It didn't seem like self-discovery, didn't seem like people were developing. Um, it just seemed like an act. That's all well and good, but that's not me. I felt that I was hardwired to look for meaning, maybe not find it. Um, that's the, the absurdist in me, going and searching for meaning without finding it. That search for meaning to try and discover more about myself, to discover more about the universe, really came from a fascination with science as a young age and also a, a frustration that folks would be so scared of death but then do so little with their lives in the process. And is there anyone that inspired you, any comedians or big thinkers that gave you the courage to be so fearless? There's been a lot of teachers along the way. Two people I know well, I shouldn't call them comedians because realistically they're friends, but two folks who were a huge influence, especially when I was getting started, John Robertson. Um, and John and I were both in Perth. John gave me the push that I needed even before John came along, my year nine English teacher, Justin Lim, we'd sort of discovered during high school that he was doing stand-up. That man's primarily responsible for really unlocking my sense of humour, for getting me to look at things differently, to give everything a bit of a twist and try and make it funny, try and laugh at the absurdism of the universe. Between the two of them, they sort of pointed me in the right direction and gave me a bit of a steer to start expressing myself artistically. And Josh, would living on Mars be enough for you? You know, you're somebody that really needs to figure out what life's purpose is and to have a function, to have a role. Do you think living on Mars would be enough for you? I actually think it would be the ultimate. And this is where the introversion sort of starts to combine with these more adventurous activities. For me, the greater meaning that comes out of living on another planet is the fact that it's not me personally that it's important that does it. The important thing is that there's a permanent human presence on Mars, that we literally have become a dual planet species. And it doesn't matter if it's me or anyone else or whatever, the idea that humans are living on another planet is going to change the way that we see ourselves as a species here on Earth. To me, that's the more important thing. I've put my hand up to do this. Uh, I've put my hand up and volunteered to be one of these people who you know goes and lives on another planet not necessarily because that's where I want to be, but because I see humans living on other planets as vital to the development and, and the future of our species, that I'm going to put myself up to do it because it's so important. So by being there, I am fulfilling that role of us living on other planets, being a dual planet species and acting as an ambassador for the species. On a personal note, being isolated, we're talking about sending two men and two women on that first crew. And those folks are basically going to spend close to three years by themselves before another crew of four turn up. And during a time like that, there's an amazing opportunity for self-reflection um, to do a huge amount of science, obviously, and be able to sort of benefit Earth that way. 
but also being able to investigate yourself to spend a lot of time writing. I will quite happily bunker myself down and and write uh, for extended periods of time. When you talk like this way, it feels less about the adventure and more about the experience for you to look within and reflect. I think you want to be on the front line of things all the time. Would that be a fair thing to say? Yeah, and, and there's a willingness to be on the front line. If I'm going to do something, um, then I'm going to throw myself at it fully. There's a level of ego there, uh, as especially when I was younger. I wanted to, if I was going to join the military, then I was going to go into special forces. If I was going to go scuba diving, then, you know, I'm not going to worry about going somewhere that's nice and easy and checking out brightly colored fish. I'm going to go and crawl into dark, muddy little holes places (laughs) and explore new things. A lot of it comes back to, again, wanting to learn more about the universe. And if I'm going to do something, throwing all my focus at it, uh, throwing everything that I've got at that one particular thing. And it becomes a form of meditation, I suppose, in you're meditating through what you're doing. When I'm writing, I'm writing. When I'm cave diving, I'm cave diving. I'm not thinking about cave diving when I'm writing, unless I'm writing about cave diving. <laughs> um, and I'm not thinking about writing when I'm cave diving. The military trained that into me to a certain extent. Uh, my job with the army uh, here in Australia, when I first followed Dad's footsteps a little bit, uh, I went and joined the Royal Australian Engineers, um, which is part of our Australian Army, and I worked as a combat engineer. And my area of expertise was booby traps and mine warfare. So, not putting these things in place, but picking them back up again. There's not a lot of leeway for being distracted when you're in an environment like that. So. That's what you're focused on. When you are picking up a mine, you are focused on picking up a mine. (laughs) You're not thinking about dinner. You're not thinking about anything else. You're just doing that one thing. And it does become a very meditative process. And I suppose I've transferred that across into most of the things that I do now. And you have very few possessions anymore, haven't you? Yeah, pretty much everything fits in a backpack. In terms of personal possessions, it's pretty much me, a backpack and a ukulele. Uh, and that's, I'm pretty happy with that. I've been happy with that for quite a few years. What would you say so far has been the most enjoyable phase of your life? I think it's kept getting better and better. Uh, it was interesting. I I had a hell of a time in high school. Um, I had a hell of a time in school generally, actually. Um, but yeah, high school was pretty awful. And as soon as it was over, um, I felt like my life started anew. Uh, university was a huge upgrade um, and, you know, there were dark times in there as well, but it has felt like it's gotten progressively better and better. Rather than focusing on necessarily when has been the best, I've always looked at when was the absolute worst and I can pinpoint the exact day that was the absolute worst, um, April 17th, 2008, uh, when I was working in the mining industry that was the day that was the worst. I won't go into it, but uh, yeah, that was pretty dreadful. I have always gone back to that. I've always seen that as zero and every day since then has been an improvement. And I look at where I am now and I've had lots of wonderful different phases, doing lots of wonderful different things, but all of that has helped inform where I am now. And where I go next is going to be better again because I've got the knowledge and experience of what I've done before. 
You just live in reality, in real harsh reality. And you always have ever since I've known you, you're exacting in your standards. You're the kind of person you'd like to have around in any times of emergency or disaster. One of the things that's come up recently around that, I discuss it in the book, so I'll quite happily discuss it here. Like I have a couple of girlfriends. One of them's a nurse. So I I live with someone, live with a girlfriend, uh, but I also visit another girlfriend who's further out. And the girlfriend who's further out is the nurse. And the girlfriend I live with was involved in a major car accident in February. And I've been acting as her carer since then, essentially. It's been interesting seeing that carer nature come through um, and me discussing with the the nurse girlfriend, Chloe, um, talking about how I wish I was in a better position to be able to provide better support to Georgie. It, It was driving me towards wanting to become a doctor. I was like, oh, maybe I'll go and do my medical degree. After the long discussions with Chloe about all of it, someone who works in, you know, the the medical field already, I've sort of come to the realisation that I want to learn all these different things and I want to learn how the body works and the idea of being a doctor, but I don't actually want to be a doctor. You are very caring and you do take care of people a lot. You know, I've seen you do it many times. It's a really rare combination. And even just having more than one girlfriend, you're very good at defining your own purpose in life and your own terms. It's, it's been an interesting experience. And I suppose that's where I've established my own value sets. I've gone and learnt from lots and lots of different cultures, lots of different religions. And if I can work out the things that fit for me and live by that and be very clear with people about how I live, if I'm not hurting anyone then I don't really see a huge problem. And Josh, then, say Mars 1 doesn't happen. I think you're always going to be looking for adventures anyway. So having written the book, there's a a certain level of emotional baggage that's been released around Mars 1 for me because Cosmic Nomad essentially captures my experience from that first day I discovered Mars 1 in a little cafe in Brighton in the UK back in 2012 through to, you know, about six months ago. I've also turned around and gone, okay, Things haven't moved forward for a while and I'm still hopeful, but I also need to focus on what I want to do with myself while I'm here on Earth. And so I'm, I suppose, in a transit process right now. I'm looking at how I'm going to move forward and what motivates me and what my priorities are. I've always loved scuba diving. Um, I've always loved that sensation of being weightless um, and being challenged. And the one thing that I've really latched onto only in the last 18 months has been cave diving. Really an amazing opportunity for us to do true exploration here on Earth. There are places that you can't send ROVs. There are places that you actually have to send people into these different really complex and challenging environments and you have to solve problems. Um, And if you get it wrong then yeah, people can die. It's actually an incredibly safe sport when you follow the rules. If you don't follow the rules, then things go pear-shaped very quickly. So I feel very drawn to something like that where the line is in the sand. It's very clear what needs to be done. You can push it and different people have their own comfort zones. Uh, And I probably have a very different comfort zone from a lot of other cave divers because I really do want to push that exploration side of things and discover where these places go. Um, There is a huge network underneath all of our feet. Um, There is an amazing network of caves in Ireland, um, uh, underwater caves with huge rivers flowing underneath where you are, but most people aren't aware of it. 
in the same way that most people on Earth don't look up and look up to space and think about the various different worlds that are out there, we often miss the fact there is an entire world underneath our feet as well. My real interest is discovering more about the universe and so I'm really pushing into the area where we're mm. mapping, uh, we're surveying caves, we're finding new ways on, discovering where the cave itself goes even further. I can see that being my focus for the next few years at least um, and always keeping an eye on what Mars One's doing in the background. I really admire the way you have created your own way of living and you've been very honest. What advice would you give to people about living the life that you want? I suppose there's two things that have always come through for me. Um, the one value that I personally have always held for myself has been integrity. One thing I'm not good at is lying to people and that means that I, I shouldn't be lying to myself. So I'm always digging, I suppose, to find the truth for me. That's played a huge role through all of it. The other factor in all of that is the self-reflection that comes with it. Um, if you're going to be honest with yourself then you need to be asking really hard questions about yourself to figure out what that truth is. So yeah, integrity and self-reflection have always been the two things that have kind of pushed me forward to find my own value sets. You really are blazing a trail. Your book Cosmic Nomad is out and available on Amazon. It's on everything. I can send people signed copies. They can, yeah, it's everywhere. I've read it. It's a good read and your acerbic wit is all the way through it. You are such a unique person. Thank you again for everything that you did for me so selflessly in those early days. I honestly just wonder where I would have been if our paths hadn't crossed and we will be friends for many years to come. And no matter what, whether you go to Mars or not, you'll always be exploring. So thank you. Well, thank you. That's yeah, very generous. If you like this podcast or if you like what I do or if you'd like to know more or have a question, you can sign up for updates on my website, neveshaw.ie. This podcast is funded by my loyal Patreon subscribers, the subscription content service that allows me to create and share exclusive videos, advanced episodes of this podcast, provide special deals and discounted offers for patrons of my work. And thanks to those patrons, I get to make the work I want to make and can continue in my mission to get to space in earnest. And in return, I get to include them all in the adventures every step of the way. I couldn't do any of it without their support and I will be forever grateful to them. So thanks. And maybe you'd like to become a patron too. So if you would like to support my mission to get to space as storyteller, further details of Patreon's membership benefits and about this podcast, upcoming events and activities, they're all available from my website, neveshaw.ie account. I'd love to hear from you. But we can connect in other ways too. If you're on Twitter, my handle is Dior underscore Neve underscore Shaw. If you're on Instagram, it's Dior underscore Neve underscore Shaw. Or on Facebook, follow my page, Get Neve to Space. If you just want to watch more content, you can check out my videos on my YouTube channel, Neve Shaw. Humans of Space is produced by Mark Gardner and Catherine Cunning at Oxford Sound Studio, Oxford in the UK, with music by Tom Beasley. <laughs>